2: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
3: This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
0: Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. LegalShield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
3: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says one I'm Jonathan Strickland.
1: I'm Lauren Vogelbaum.
3: And I'm Joe McCormick. And today... I thought we should talk about something really random. Well, not that random, because we were asked to talk about it.
4: Actually, it's fairly predictable. (laughs) But a sort of random request came in Okay, from a user. Not a user, a listener. (laughs) (laughs) We're not some piece of software. Not yet. We might be kind of like one.
1: You aren't.
4: Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) Okay, no, our listener Sean wrote in to us via email and asked us, How about something on random number generators, RNGs, or pseudo-random number generators, PRNGs, or PNGs, PRGs, and the likes, and what better sources of entropy might be tomorrow? I thought this was a great topic because random numbers are a fascinating subject that does not get enough love.
3: Yeah, it actually ends up being a philosophical discussion, uh, going to the point where you you start to question the very meaning of the universe. And it sounds like I'm being flippant, but that is totally true. Yes. Right. It goes sort of
4: to the very nature, the base nature of what reality is. Yeah.
3: So uh, when you get to that, you know... It's saying, like, well, how can we make a a true random number generator? Things get a little, uh, little wibbly wobbly and timey wimey. Yeah.
4: So, what would it mean for a number to actually be random? Hold on, hold on. I've I've got some, some elementary school knowledge to draw on because when I was in fifth grade, my classmates, I would do something and then one of the girls in my class would say, Joe, you're so random.
3: So, clearly, (laughs) that was it, right? You, you drew upon an infinitely large list of potential, uh, behaviors and picked one with no predetermination of which one that would be, and that's what you went with. Well,
4: I don't know. I, I think we can spend the rest of this podcast m- going back and forth about whether or not my fifth grade classmates were using the word random correctly. But random doesn't mean weird. No. And random doesn't mean, uh, what, what would it be, uh, you know, like Bad no. or pointless. That's the thing. People often say random to mean pointless. Uh
1: sure. Although it does mean unpredictable. Yeah. And they could have been talking about the fact that you are behaving unpredictably.
4: You know, that's another thing, though. If somebody <laughs> is consistently weird, they're not really unpredictable. You can predict what they're
1: going to well, be,
3: which is weird. Well, it d- d- what would depends be on
1: what kind of weird they're being. I mean, if you're being like Tim Burton weird,
3: then – All you yeah. can predict is that they will be weird. You cannot necessarily predict each individual weird action that person takes. So the general behavior might be predictable in the sense that this is generally a series of unpredictable events. My head hurts.
4: Okay, okay. Let's get back to numbers. Okay. So we can do this topic right. So what would it mean for a number, a number to truly be random?
3: Well, if we're talking with computers, this simplifies things in a huge way because computers understand two numbers, zero and one, right? That's a bit. Okay. So which one's random? Is it zero? <laughs> okay. Now you're Not exactly. All right. Uh, have you ever watched – a, an American football game, Joe. I believe I've heard of this. Yeah. Now, at the beginning of an American football game, the referee will toss a coin into the air and allow one side to pick either heads or tails, which will then allow that side to determine whether they will kick off or receive the football should their called sign land face up. If it's, of course, the other one, then the other team gets to make that choice. But the determination is random. It's determined by an act of chance, the the side of the coin that ends up facing up, right? Right. So the thing about this is maybe if we
4: flipped a coin 10 million times, we might find out that a coin flip is not actually random.
3: Well, right? yeah, you would have to flip the coin a huge number of times and start to look at it and say, how far does this deviate from 50 percent? And does that, in fact, suggest there's something strange about the coin that is causing it to come up on one side more frequently than the other?
4: Right. But it's at least random enough, right? Right. It's unpredictable it's pretty enough. Close. That yeah. That somebody couldn't bank on heads or tails and come out right most of the time.
3: Right. So a, a true random bit generator, which would only be able to generate a zero or a one, would do so... Uh, And you would be unable to have a greater than 50% 50 probability of predicting whatever the next bit generated was going to be. So in other words, no matter how many bits have been generated in the past, even if you knew every single one of those, like you had a record, you have maybe a, a binder filled with zeros and ones that tell you every single bit this thing has generated in the past, you would not be able to use that information to guess what the next bit would be because every single time it generates something would be independent and unpredictable. All right, so let's. if you do have a true random bit generator, then you are able to create these bits without being able to determine ahead of time which one it's going to be. It's unpredictable. It's truly random. So uh, computers are not very good at that, but we'll get into that. But let's say that you harvest a series of bits from a random source, all right? Now, some of those bits may actually be guessable because they might be dependent upon other bits. So... If you, for example, have a zero or a one, and you could not predict whether that was going to be a zero or a one, but an adjacent bit, if you know if the first bit is zero, it's always also going to be a zero. Like if you know that, then suddenly you have a little less randomness in that number because it's dependent upon the value of an earlier bit. So the if you add up all the ones that are truly unguessable, the 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 bits within that numeral that you have and you add up all the ones that are truly impossible to predict that ends up being entropy that's what we call entropy in this instance entropy in general means something else in physics but in this case that's what entropy is referring to
4: it sort of makes sense the the use of that term entropy is in a closed system when everything tends toward chaos yeah things break
3: down order breaks down Mm
1: -hmm. and and chaos is a form of unpredictability
4: certainly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Or in
3: physics, heat, right? Yeah, At least chaos, at any rate, chaos ends up being complexity, which for humans tends to go toward unpredictability. Although technically complexity and and unpredictability are two separate things. If you have a computer system complex enough and uh, powerful enough, that that complexity within a chaotic system could potentially be predictable. But we'll get into that, too. (laughs) Well, that is what we need to talk about now,
4: because I'm sure y'all have all used a computer program at some point. A few times. That gives you that gives you some kind of outcome that's based on a random number. what, What should be considered a random number. But most of the time when you've done that, I bet that it has not been a true random number but what we would call a pseudo-random number. Mm-hmm. So it's random enough. It's random enough that it generally works for things that are low stakes. It can fill in, <clears throat> so let's say you're playing a computer game and it's something that calls for some random element to be like the dice roll for hit points on a on an RPG game or something. It can do that fine. Sure. But when you think about it, how could it actually be truly random? Because computers are deterministic machines. Yes. Every event in the computer, unless there's some kind of like physical error it, that's introduced by the outside, unless there's some kind of error that's caused by I don't know quantum tunneling or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, sure. You know? sure. <laughs> uh, or just
3: some a, a, mechanical or electrical failure. But yeah. right, mm-hmm. a-
4: everything that happens as it should is deterministic. It's yeah. Controlled by instructions based on what has come before.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Specific instructions that people have written that it's just following.
4: So how would you tell a computer come up with a random number? If if you're a computer, the way you answer that is, okay, what random number should I use?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So essentially what you have to do is you have to build in some form of algorithm. That's a set of instructions. Algorithm is essentially just a fancy word for saying instructions. And those instructions would be to take some form of input uh, normally apply some series of calculations to that input, and then the output is your random number, right? So your input should be at least somewhat changeable, something, you know, beyond just... The the string of four digits that clearly wouldn't work because it would always the outcome would always be the same. Right. right.
4: So you might sample something like the time.
3: Yeah. The time of day, in fact, is a very common one for simple uh, random number generation or pseudo random number generation. So the you send in a command. It takes note of the timestamp, like the date and time, exact time that you said do this thing, converts that into the seed That's the number that will be fed through the algorithm or formula, and then you get the output, the actual quote-unquote random number, which is not truly random. Again, it's dependent upon the time that you sent the command and whatever that series of steps happen to be. And it might be that that's a lot of steps. It might be very simple. It might be multiply uh, the the seed by this number and then subtract this other number from it and whatever is left, that is your random number. But it's important
4: to remember that the pseudo random tree always does grow from the seed. So it's entirely <laughs> dependent on what the seed is. Yes. And if the seed is not random then the final output can't in a mathematical sense be said to be truly random.
3: Well, yeah. And we often in discussions of random number generators, you will often see the term attacker. Because a lot of random number generation centers around security and cryptography and encryption. And it's very important in those fields. And in those fields, you might have a potential attacker, someone who is looking to uh, to to exploit a vulnerability or infiltrate a system in some way. And so the, the robustness of your random number generator is very important. Because if it's not robust, if you can start to see a pattern or you're able to predict what that next number is, then your security is compromised, right? Someone could actually end up posing as a valid user and uh, uh, compromise the system. Sure. We can talk more about the the purposes and uses of random numbers
4: in a minute. But we should finish making the distinction between random numbers and pseudo-random numbers.
3: Yeah. So a true random number has to be unpredictable, which, again, computer's not good at doing that because they have to follow some sort of set of instructions. So true random number generators tend if, to be— If such
4: a thing is possible, by the way. Right. But. We'll,
3: we'll get into the philosophy again later. But true random numbers tend to be based on hardware uh, approaches. So a very simple true random number generator would be—a uh, good classic one would be dice, right? Because— uh, all things being equal assuming there's nothing wrong with the dice any roll of the dice is just as likely to bring up one side versus any of the other sides so it is a random event you cannot predict which number is going to come up next right even even if you were to roll a die 30 times in a row you wouldn't be able to predict what the 31st roll would give you, unless, again, something was wrong with the dice. Well,
1: sure. I mean, you know, we're kind of talking about, and, and all of this comes back to the problem of, of we're talking hypotheticals in a perfect universe where yeah. the, the table is perfect and the dice are perfect and the person throwing the dice is perfect and none of this is influencing the outcome, which, of course, it does.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you ran an experiment or if you could. If you ran an experiment where you had somebody roll a die 10 billion times, I suspect you would find that some sides of that die are actually more likely to come out on top than others.
3: I it all, Again, it all depends upon the construction of the die, yeah. right? Because if the die is truly well, as close to perfect as possible, then you shouldn't have any, any bias there. But so – Another thing you need to remember is a good pseudo-random number generator, it will not have a repetitive cycle, although they all do. It's just the cycles tend to be very, very, very long so that uh, to we mere mortals, it appears like it never repeats. Um, they should have really good numeric distribution, which means it shouldn't favor any one number over any other number. You should have an equal distribution amongst them. Uh, and it shouldn't be predictable, obviously, because if it is, that it's not really useful. True random number generators are slow and inefficient, so that's why we don't tend to use them for really complex tasks, especially tasks where you have to generate a lot of random numbers in a short amount of time. Uh, so the advantage though is that they're non-deterministic and they're aperiodic, so they don't repeat. And there's nothing that you can, you know, you can't, you can't predict the outcome because they're non-deterministic. Pseudo-random numbers are deterministic and periodic, but they are also way more efficient. So it's easier to generate a lot of them in a short amount of time. And if you make a, a strong enough, a robust enough system, despite the fact that they're deterministic and periodic, they can still be largely unpredictable.
4: Right? They're, uh, they're so big, basically. There's so much. Brain power involved in predicting them; they can be effectively thought of as random. Right.
3: the The goal is that you have to make it complex enough where a brute force attack, which is where you would just start going with every potential answer for the problem, could be, you know, used one at a time.
1: Right. You you do that thing where you throw ten million or ten billion. Instances
3: exactly. Added. If you can make that random, that pseudo random number large enough so that the effort it would take to successfully get a brute force attack to work is greater than what most people have at their disposal, your system is generally thought of to be pretty safe. So in other words, uh, let's say that it's the Hollywood version of hacking. N- Where you use a joystick. None, <laughs> none of those systems are very safe. Yeah. It's, you, well,
1: first, you've got to get some eyeliner.
3: Yeah. Or or your password is five letters long. It's all uppercase and it's just sword or something like that. And that's, that gets you into the system. Uh, yeah, that would those, – those security systems would fail dramatically uh, compared to what we're talking about here.
4: OK. So we have computers that work as pseudo-random number generators. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're mm-hmm. random enough even if they're not truly random. Then we have some other ways of maybe creating something that might be thought of as truly random. We can debate and talk about those later. But first, why do we need random numbers? Like what's the point – other than you know if we've got pseudo random number generators that are good enough i mean why do we actually have to come close as possible to true randomness well if
3: you want to play a chaotic neutral character in dungeons and dragons <laughs> you want to get as close to truly random as possible because that's what that's what dictates their hearts uh to be more serious, you would want random numbers, really good random numbers for lots of different purposes. One is, uh, sampling. So sampling populations. Now this can mean anything, not just sampling populations of people, but for all sorts of types of, of, uh, of scientific inquiry. But one real life example I can point to is imagine that you are a TSA security agent and your job is to Uh, stop a random stop, random people for screening at the airport. And you're not supposed to act on any bias, right? You're not supposed to stop people because of the way they look or anything along those lines. What you're what your directive is, you're stopping a random person. And if you truly wanted to be random, you would need to have this kind of generator that would tell you. The seventh person to go through this per- this line is the one you stop. The next time, it says the second person. Next time, it says the 47th person. And you would just follow that instead of acting upon your own, quote-unquote, oh, I'm going to stop this person because now it's time for me to do another random search. Something that goes along with
4: sampling, though, is actually
3: something that might be useful
4: in science, which is simulation. Yeah. I mean, in simulating trials and real-world events, if you're going to try to run an experiment on your computer instead of in real life, it's very important to be able to have random
3: inputs. Sure. Even if you are incorporating a human into the the testing. So let's say it's a simulation where uh, you are simulating, it's like a test pilot simulating a simulated flight where you're simulating weather patterns as well. Clearly, you want those weather patterns to be as random but still, you know, still akin to actual weather,
1: realistic, right? Right,
3: because otherwise, what could happen is the test pilot goes through the system. Perhaps things go poorly, and the test pilot ends up crashing the simulated plane. And then the test pilot is told to go through it again after some adjustments have been made. But the, now the test pilot knows that pattern. So if the pattern was exactly the same, you wouldn't be sure that whatever changes you made were actually the things that affected the outcome of the simulation. You need that randomness so that you can ensure that the things you are actually testing matter.
4: Yeah, you don't want the pilot to be able to just like memorize like like she's playing battle toads or something right. where, you know, oh, you yeah, here's press, where the crosswind right,
3: comes yeah, up and, three times and yeah. then down. Yeah, and
1: then it's the Goomba and then, right, sure. right,
3: Well, <laughs> as a – that's a heck of a, a mixed video game. I, I mean, it would make Battletoads a lot easier, honestly, if the Goombas were the enemies. But the uh, uh, you know, another example, and you know, it sounds like I'm being kind of trivial with these, but these are really true, uh, gambling is yeah. another example well, where random
4: is important. It sounds trivial now. If you're a gambler, I'm sure it's not trivial at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you you definitely – you're counting on the fact that the numbers that are coming out of the system are truly random. If there is a bias, somehow I suspect if there were a bias, it would be a bias toward the house. I can't say for sure, but yeah, who knows?
3: Well, it matters. Very then. cynical, Joe. <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> let's say it's a game of uh, of craps. Yeah. Now with with craps, there are a lot of different ways to bet. So your bet is what is going to matter, not not whether or not uh certain numbers come up more frequent, frequently than others because if you know notice that certain numbers are coming up more frequently than others you can place your bets toward that to try and and win which would give the incentive to the house to change out those dice immediately right. because otherwise they're going to start losing money if people pick up on that so it, it depending upon the game, it can really be in the house's interest to make sure that this game is working exactly the way it's supposed to. Right. And, things like, and well,
4: all games have a house advantage anyway, Sure. But, yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, things like slot machines. I did a full episode on slot machines for tech stuff where we talked about the various elements that introduce kind of a, uh, the randomness in slot machines to make them uh, attractive to people who want to gamble. And in fact – over the lifetime of a slot machine, most slot machines in Vegas pay out somewhere between 95 and 99% of all the money that go into them over the lifetime of the machine. On a day-to-day basis, that is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to keep in mind this is a long game you're talking about. But um, But randomness is important in that. In that realm, too. It's not like there's a series of mechanical gears in that slot machine that ge- that tells you whether or not you're going to win. It's uh, actually more based upon the moment that you hit the button or pull the lever to initiate it. It's more of that timestamp approach we talked about earlier in the podcast.
4: But, of course, another big use, and the main one we alluded to earlier, is cryptography. Yeah. In keeping things secret and keeping them safe.
3: Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> is it secret? Is it safe? Mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, this is a big one. So this can be for anything, right? Not just not just the super uh, secure stuff you want, like banking or or purchases, but anytime you log into any kind of uh, of web service where you're you're actually you know you're logging in as yourself, you are assigned a unique ID for the duration of your visit to that website. It's how all the uh, server knows that this is you, uh, even if you are navigating around the various site to the various pages within it, if you're logged in, it knows, oh, well, this is Jonathan, or this is Lauren, or this is Joe. And it doesn't mix us up because we each have a unique identifier. Now, if whatever they're using to generate those unique identifiers is, in fact, predictable, it could allow an attacker to come in and, if they have enough information, be able to guess at the unique ID of any one of the three of us and pose as us, which could be disastrous in the case of something like a bank account mm-hmm. where they suddenly have access to all of our online banking stuff. That could be a huge problem. So you need to have a really robust system for generating random numbers to create these unique IDs. Now, that's just one example. It is all over the place in cryptography.
1: So all, all of these are important reasons for us to have random numbers or pseudo-random numbers at the very least. Mm-hmm. But uh, how how have we dealt with actually creating these in, in the past and, and right now?
4: Well, if we want to look at the past, I think we've already been talking about one of the big ones, which is dice. Yeah. Dice, the roulette wheel, all kinds. They're basic analog mechanical methods for generating things that are pretty close to random. You know, they're, they're probably not actually random, like I said. I bet if you designed a machine to throw a die, you know, a hundred billion times or whatever, you would eventually determine there's some kind of slight bias based on how the die is made or, or how the machine's throwing it.
3: Or even the surface upon which the die is hitting. Yeah. Because if you changed out the surface, that would likely change the results.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Yeah, all that. Uh, but generally, things like these have been random enough for people. They work yeah. pretty good. Uh, another thing that I wanted to think about was... Humans, our brains, generating random numbers consciously. Like I can say, Lauren, what's a random number? 46. Jonathan, random number? Pi. That strikes me as not especially random, but I like that you well, said it. That's,
3: that's somehow less random than 46? Yeah,
4: it's far less random than 46. I don't get it. Because, hey, it was just Pi Day, 314, like three days ago. That put the seed in your mind. If I was a hacker that's and not you true. were using it's that totally as the seed, true. I would have guessed Pi. The I would reason have guessed... I thought
3: it is because I had pie for dessert today at lunch. That's Why? Your I don't believe well. you. I
4: think you had Mexican food for lunch. I hey. did. And I followed it up with pie. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I celebrate oh,
3: St. Patrick's Day is Mexican you, food followed by pie.
4: I admire your life. OK. <laughs> so I, the question is, can humans consciously generate random numbers with any kind of success at all? I mean, when I just asked you all, I'm sure there was a. Somewhat predictable reason you said the number you did.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think I actually picked 46 because I believe earlier you said 47. I did. Say 47 and 47 so earlier. that number was kind of in my head, but I didn't want to say that number because sure. obviously that wouldn't be random. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: So I've always heard the answer to this question is no. Humans cannot generate random numbers with even oh. distribution. Uh, so I looked it up just to make sure. I've seen actually some competing opinions about this pop up in the scientific literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, though. Strong caveat: Some of the recent papers I saw were published in the journal *Medical Hypotheses*, which is, uh, for much of its history, in the time when these papers were published, really more of a sort of playground for strange ideas than a place to publish rigorously conducted research. And it, like, it was not peer-reviewed right, until yeah. recently. Right. Uh, but anyway, so with that very, very strong caveat, at least one paper published in *Medical Hypotheses* in two thousand five. Uh, The author claimed that humans could consciously generate random number sequences with success. Uh, A quote from the abstract is, the results suggest that humans can generate random numbers that are uniformly distributed, independent of one another, and unpredictable. I was a little skeptical of that, and actually there have been subsequent papers, at least two I found in the same journal, that claim they tried to reproduce the original results and could not, and Mm -hmm. found that, uh, that... the results were substantially non-random. It's the same kind of problem that I think has always been reported with humans trying to generate strings of random numbers, which is that they do things like repeat the same number twice in a row too often,
0: mm-hmm. or
4: they uh, they do too little of repeating the same number spaced out, and things like that. Actually... There was a funny story, I think Jonathan was mentioning it earlier, about John von Neumann.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Neumann came up, von Neumann came up with a, uh, or at least utilized a method that, uh, you know, if you were to just see a string of numbers, you would potentially be able to figure out what was going on if you were very, very observant. Uh, he used the middle square method. Here's how it works. You start with a number, uh, usually, you know, like a four-digit number. That's your seed. And you square that number. So then you're going to take the middle four digits of that number. Uh, you will actually get an eight-digit number total. So you drop the f- the first two and you drop the last two digits and the middle four. That becomes your new random number. When you need another random number, you square those four digits. And you do the same thing. You do it over and over. But once you know this is going on, you can start to work backwards and figure out what what the methodology is, and not only that, you can predict what the next number is because you already have the seed, Sure. right? You know this random number is actually the seed for the next random number, and I know the methodology used to generate the random number, therefore I can already predict what the next one in that sequence is going to be. So the example I chose, and this was as random as I could think of, so... It's not you know, so not random at all. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. They, you know, we we need to get into an episode where we really talk about uh, the the concept of free will and how <laughs> how much of our actions are actually determined by external sources and other processes that we're not familiar with. So. I fully admit all of those are at play. <laughs> we'll
4: save that for another day. Tell yes. us about numbers.
3: I picked so I picked the number five nine seven four. I squared it, took the middle four numbers. The those middle four numbers were six eight eight six. I squared it. I took the middle four numbers. That was four one six nine. So this was the pr- same process. And if I if you knew that that's what I was doing, then you would just take four one six nine, square it, take those middle four numbers, and you would have my next quote unquote random number. So
4: not very useful, not secure at all. You know. I love stories about John von Neumann because they're all about how he would do stuff like that in his head and, and scare people <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of too smart for Earth in a kind of creepy way. I, I also found a great quote from him on the Internet today where he said, anyone who considers arithmetical methods of producing random digits is, of course, in a state of sin. <laughs> For as has been pointed out several times, there is no such thing as a random number. There are only methods to produce random numbers. And the strict arithmetic procedure, of course, is not such a method.
1: Sick burn.
4: So I think the point he makes is not that pseudo-random numbers uh, produced by algorithms are useless, just the folly of thinking they're truly random. Yeah, yes. just
1: random is the incorrect term.
4: Sure. Right. Uh, but we've actually got a lot of ways today of producing what some would argue actually are true random numbers and then other people would say no they're not actually still random still pseudo yeah we, yeah we can argue about it but what are the the truest of the true random numbers so, we can come up with now
3: uh i'm going to give an overview of this one because honestly the more i looked into it to try and be able to to explain in a a simple way what was going on the more i realized i was not understanding it so uh that caveat out there Uh, In 1997, uh, Makoto Matsumoto and uh, Takuji Nishimura developed the Mersenne twister method of generating pseudo-random numbers, which is based off the mathematical concept of the Mersenne prime, named after Marin Mersenne. Okay, so what is a Mersenne prime number? Well, that's a prime number that is one less than a power of two. So two to the power of two, or two squared, minus one, minus one. Is three? That's a prime number. That would be a Mersenne prime, uh, but obviously you wouldn't want to use a number that small for your period of your prime number generation. That would be the essentially the the uh, the entire span of numbers that you could use before having to repeat. And uh, the smaller that is, the more easily it is broken, right? So you want a big one. Boy, how do they go with a big one? Uh, <laughs> so for their thirty-two bit word length version uh, there is a 64 bit as well but for the 32 bit version they went 2 to the power of 19,937 and then you subtract 1 from that number
0: <laughs>
3: yeah it's a big number uh, so the algorithm itself for generating the random number I mean this is the period that's not the random number obviously because mm-hmm. that that's just a number Uh the algorithm was way too complex for me to understand it. So there's no way I can describe it. And I'm sure there's some mathematicians out there who are rolling their eyes, perhaps audibly at this point, at my ignorance. But keep in mind, I was a liberal arts major. and uh, John von Neumann is rolling in his grave. I, I, I doubt it not, nor do I blame him.
1: Rolling his eyes while rolling <laughs> in his grave,
3: probably. Yeah. Probably, yes, in a random fashion. Uh, <laughs> So it, th- the thing is that this is a really complex system. It does generate pseudo-random numbers. Uh, it does not necessarily pass all the tests of randomness. However, it is really popular. It's used by a lot of web servers, for example, uh, in its method of producing random numbers or pseudo-random numbers, I should say. Uh, what about your standard cryptographic hash? All right. So uh, did – did you actually know what a cryptographic hash was i had to look it up because i always forget but a cryptographic hash is, it's one of those things that i know in a very loose way yeah i you always you know when i
4: read it on a page i'm like okay I'm like, i know yeah, what that's close talking enough, about sure. and yeah and then you're so you're like explain it to me i'm
3: like uh uh that's kind it of how I, that's how I am too.
1: stuff with cryptography and yeah. potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And
3: it's all fried up in a pan yeah. and it's, it's delicious. delicious. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, that is that is not entirely correct, <laughs> but it is incredibly tasty. Uh, yeah. So a hash and I, I have to remind myself of this all the time, too. And I yeah. talk about it a lot. So I, I feel guilty about this. But a hash is essentially a, a, uh, a fixed length alphanumeric message. That, uh, is apparently random. So alphanumeric, it means that there's both, um, you know, uh, letters and numbers represented in the hash. Mm. Uh, and it's a fixed length, meaning that no matter what the input is, you're going to get the same length of message on the output. So if it's uh, a single word, you're going to get, you know, let's say, let's say it's 50 characters long, your hash you'll get a 50-character long hash representing that single word. Uh, and it's going through a process. The hash itself is the guarded process series of of instructions that a uh, computer will uh, – Uh, execute upon input so that you get this output. Let's say that you do a sentence, not just a little word, and you plug it in. You're going to get a 50 character long hash. It doesn't matter what the input is. The output's always going to be a 50 character hash. Now it's going to be unique to whatever your input's going to be. And hashes can be significantly longer than 50 characters. I just drew that number out of the air to kind of give an example. Uh, But the idea being that there's no way for you to determine what the input was based upon the output because it doesn't give you any hint as to the nature of that input. Uh, Right, right.
1: Part of the hash isn't like, P.S., the original message was 78 characters long.
3: Right, exactly. Okay.
4: Yeah. Y'all are not (laughs) satisfying me. Oh, I'm sorry. Because – these things we're talking about are still based they're algorithmic. Yeah. So what we really need to focus on I think is ways of getting a seed or a period or you know drawing that initial number that really are random. I mean again we're, here we're sort of like churning complexity with complexity until we get something that's really hard to un a knot that's hard to untie. Sure. But what we want is a knot that starts untieable. Okay, <laughs> you know, like uh, so. How about if we went for Schrodinger's random number? Yes,
1: this is actually my very favorite method of of determining of, of spitting out a random number, and it, and it's based on the principle that when when radioactive stuff decays, it decays at a completely unpredictable rate. That's yeah. true. That 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 point at which it flips. Is y- you can't, I mean, you can make a pretty good guess at when, yeah. but the actual point you can't predict. You cannot predict. Right, right. So if you set up a Geiger counter mm-hmm. uh, and then set up a computer to, you know, uh, Uh, record when that actual flip happens, you've got a random number.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, uh, and a lot of random number generator systems use a combination of true random number generators and pseudo random number generators. So the true random number ends up becoming the seed and then it goes through the process of the pseudo random number generator until you get your quote unquote random number. But by making that seed truly random you can't predict what the next one's going to be, right, because of the nature of randomness. Yeah. And radioactive decay is a great way of doing that. Because, like you were saying, Lauren, you can't predict when that moment happens, when that radioactive particle decays. And so as long as you have a good detector and you have a way of feeding that information into the computer, you're set. My question would be, uh, how often is this
4: used in real life? Like, how many systems are do people have set up with, I don't know, what would they have, like a piece of uranium and a Geiger counter <laughs> that's just saying, like, if there's a click, it's a one. If there's no <laughs> click, it's a zero.
3: Look, in 1985, you might be able to buy plutonium at oh, 7-Eleven. No. <laughs> no, um, uh, so it's not obviously not common. Uh, but there are places that use it. Uh, the Hot Bits service in Fermilab in Switzerland uses this methodology. Huh. Uh, there are other ones as well. But it is not I'm, something I'm
1: guessing mostly Bond villains, probably. Yeah. yeah,
3: you're not gonna you're not gonna have like uh, when I when I'm when I'm rolling up characters so that I can you know play my D and D game, I am not going to be using this methodology. Just because they, you
1: don't wanna die of cancer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, I they, like that you did air have... quotes on that too. <laughs> 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 like, like, I mean die of cancer. By that I mean die of cancer. Yeah, you know, I mean <laughs> like, literally yeah. that's actually
1: what I meant.
4: Yeah. No, surely, I'm sure they don't have uh, chunks of uranium in the video (laughs) poker machine that you're using at the edge of the bar. (laughs) While all your friends are having fun. I feel reasonably
3: confident. I mean, it is not that far from Los Alamos, but I feel reasonably confident. Okay, what about some other,
4: at least apparently random fluctuations in physical events in the world. Uh, so,
1: yeah well yeah yeah the uh, we're always saying that the weather is random or yep. very difficult to predict at yep. any rate. Uh, so what about uh, atmospheric or electromagnetic phenomena?
3: Yeah, it's exactly one of the the sources that a lot of different true random number generators will use. They'll use some sort of measuring device you and I might call it a radio. Crazy. To pick up fluctuations in electromagnetic uh, you know, uh, broadcasts, because lots of, lots of stuff can cause, uh, radio waves to get picked up by a radio, right? Like, especially if you're on AM, things like, like lightning strikes, that'll get picked up by AM radio. In fact, that's why you get interference when mm-hmm. you tune into an AM radio station and there's an electric storm nearby, uh, or you have, you, you know, pass underneath a, a bridge and you get that interference because it's the, the signal's no longer getting to you, uh, in a, in a, uh, strong fashion. So using a radio you can pick up these at this atmospheric noise and feed that into a computer to create random numbers. That's an entirely possible uh outcome as well. So it's pretty good. Although let's say that let's look at this from the point of view of an attacker, you could conceivably broadcast electromagnetic radiation to your target in an effort to influence the random number generator and then therefore create a vulnerability to get into their system. Mm. When you, when you read about the actual problems people think about, and this is problems in the sense of like big, big picture, like, mm-hmm. like how impervious is this system to an attack? They, they get to these discussions where you think, all right, no reasonable human being would ever be able to do this. And they say, that's not the point. We're saying, is oh, sure. it, in fact, impervious? We're not saying, yeah. is it is it practical?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I seriously doubt that any hacker is going to be sitting, you know, across from your, your random number generator station and going like, start up the DVD of Wayne's World. We're going to predict some numbers right. like that. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> Would be an excellent source of it though it that movie so random but you you know you can also <laughs> uh, use actual noise like acoustic levels that can be a way of generating random numbers hold obviously on,
4: hold on let me discover your seed
3: ah yeah, yeah again <laughs> obviously if you are in a if you're in a, an environment that has a repetitive noise that's a problem because you've got a, a repeating uh, pattern that will happen uh, if you are in an area that your attacker can get access to and thus introduce a noise. That's a problem. So not necessarily as secure as some other ones. My favorite really was a system that made use of lava lamps. I saw this note. I'm confused. Okay. So really, it really did use lava lamps. It, it, the system, by the way, is no longer in use, but the way it worked was that there was a camera pointed <laughs> at lava lamps. It was a, like, early seventies fad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, sadly disco and randomness died out at the same time. No, it was a, so it was a camera pointed at a lava lamp and lava lamps have wax essentially in them that heats up and then starts to uh, float toward the top and it deforms in interesting ways. And the camera would take images, the images would be converted into digital information, and that would be shaped by the shape of the lava in the lava lamp, or the wax in the lava lamp. So it would create random numbers based upon the shapes of the lava, which you could not predict. You couldn't predict what shape it was going to be in at any given moment. And um, I thought it was a brilliant way of creating random numbers. Also stylish. Uh, I, I would
4: call it tubular.
3: In fact. Totally, Joe. That's Totally. But that's 80s, not 70s. But all right. It, I would call it groovy, personally. But that's because I'm a child of the 70s. So how about mixed entropy? We talked about entropy earlier. That idea of the entropy represents the truly unguessable bits in a string of, of bits. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed entropy, this is a concept where you take uh, lots of tiny bits of randomized information collectively to then feed into your you know, pseudo-random number generator. Uh, this could be, this could take lots of different forms. Uh, you could have the air turbulence within a sealed disk drive as a source of entropy. So we're talking obviously about an actual physical hard drive, not a solid state hard drive, right? Like the kind of has a spinning magnetic disk in it. That would create air turbulence. That air turbulence would end up becoming uh, converted into digital information mm-hmm. that would then be fed in as part of of a a seed for a, ra- a pseudo random number generator.
2: Yeah.
1: You would get a much more uh steady seed from a solid state drive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that not, would, that not, would be pretty easy to Not predict, too much actually. air turbulence
3: from that. Yeah, I, I guess if it heated up enough it okay. could create some but even so it's not much. Sorry. Yes, anyway. But no, you are absolutely right. Without <laughs> the spinning disk it's really not they're <laughs> not getting a lot happening there. But yeah, it's this it, it the idea is to collect a lot of these different sources because individually there's not enough entropy there to create a strong uh, random number, but collectively and mixed together, you can do that. Um, it makes it much more difficult to predict. So,
4: what then is the future of generating random numbers? Quantum.
1: That's your answer for everything, Jonathan. Well, you
3: know, it's say I'm say that word again. Quantum. 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 You mean quantum? Well, I mean, if you want to pronounce it correctly, sure. (laughs) I'm talking about the behaviors of the world at the subatomic level, the world that, uh, based upon our perceptions, is largely random and unpredictable.
4: Well, I guess this would sort of be the same principle behind using radioactive decay to generate random seeds, Mm -hmm. right?
3: Yeah. Uh, So here's the thing. This is where we get into the philosophy argument, right? So quantum effects appear to be random to us. Many of them, not all of them, obviously, but many of them appear to be random to us. And in fact, there seems to be a limitation on what we are able to know about any given quantum effect. For example the whole idea of uh, for a subatomic particle uh we might know uh its its uh, uh velocity or its position but the more we know one the less we know the other that kind of stuff with that limitation in mind there at least has the appearance of randomness here now it may turn out that the universe itself is by and large or maybe entirely deterministic that in fact everything that's happening is a direct result at some point like you could trace it all the way back to the big bang and that nothing is going outside of that that's a philosophical argument however because that requires knowledge of such a vast nature as to be impossible for us to, to to actually obtain right well
4: I mean we at least observe that everything above the quantum level seems to be at least deterministic like if if you were able to know everything about the thing that happened before you You'd should be able, be able to predict, to predict, the, next predict the next thing that like, happens this like is like sort of the what the project of physics is
3: yeah it kind of kind of like if you were able to know everything about a weather system i mean everything which you can't. It's, it's not possible. At least not possible today, and I doubt it will ever be possible. But let's say that somehow you are able to have that knowledge. Then, presumably, you'd be able to predict what was going to happen next. So let's take an electrical storm as an example. You might be able to, if you know everything that's going on with that weather system, know exactly when and where the next strike of lightning will occur. But in reality, we can't have all that information therefore we can't predict this therefore it feels random uh, right us. well
1: there are just too many factors it's it's yeah. not that it's a truly mm-hmm. random occurrence it's that we uh a don't don't even know how many digits are going into creating uh we, we don't know the period yeah right yeah, you know sure um and and since we don't know the entire period we can't possibly pick uh uh the correct answer yeah out of it yeah. uh it, it's you know it would go down to to being able to, to know when every person turns on the heat in their homes yeah. or, or when a factory breaks down for a few hours or yeah. something like that. Yeah,
3: it's, it's, it's one of those things where, again, the complexity of the system is so great as to effectively be random, even if you could argue, yeah, but it's not really random. Well, it it's so complex as to effectively be random. The question is moot, in yeah. other
4: words. Uh, so – and that's at the macro scale. You know, once we get down into quantum mechanics, it really is a question, is this truly random? Is it contra-causal? Mm-hmm. Is, uh, are these events happening without any input determining how they will turn out? And the impression I get from reading the current science is that people think, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, is lo- it is random. These quantum events cannot be predicted – by knowing what happened before. Now, it may turn out one day, I mean, I don't know, but it may turn out that we find out that's not true. There right. is is some information, there's some kind of hidden information that we don't have access to That if we did know, we would be able to predict what quantum outcomes will be. Yeah, but But we don't know what that is for now. In fact, yeah. And it may be that there is no such information.
3: Exactly. It may be that the quantum world is non-deterministic and it truly is random. In which case, using quantum effects to generate random numbers would be perfect because is non-deterministic and aperiodic. Uh, Uh, So that would be the way to go.
4: If we find out there is hidden information and we can discover what it is, and in fact, even at the quantum level, things are deterministic, does that mean that there is no such thing in the universe as a random number?
3: Yeah, I would would argue yes.
4: Even in the the truest of true, possible true randoms would still be a pseudo-random number.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it would just be the most complex algorithm that you'd ever seen, but that it, in fact, if you were able to know all of that stuff, then you would be able to predict what the next outcome would be. Uh, I don't, I don't personally feel like that feels true to me, but that's a feeling. So I can't say that that holds any water, but there's some interesting ways that we could harvest bits from quantum uh, 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 Phenomena, for example, the quantum effects in a semiconductor or photon polarization detection. These are things that are seemingly random, and maybe they are truly random, and that is entirely possible. However, that kind of stuff is really limited to, you know, scientific labs that have sophisticated equipment. So, what hope is there for the rest of us? What if, what, Joe, what if, what if you wanted to go out? and create a a random number generator that relied upon quantum phenomena. What hope do you have? Oh, wait, you're referring to the cell phone cameras. I am. This was a great story. (laughs) Yeah, no, this was really cool. I'm glad you found this story uh, about Bruno Sanguinetti, who came up and and a team of researchers. It wasn't just uh, Mr. Sanguinetti. He had a team of researchers as well at the University of Geneva uh, to try to find a way of using smartphones Uh, to detect quantum data that could be then used to generate random numbers. And the quantum data with a cell phone would be through the use of the camera, like you said, Joe. My my
1: cell phone camera does not have the resolution to see things at a quantum level. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've only got an iPhone 4, so maybe that's why. Well, you keep adding
3: that sepia tone filter (laughs) to everything (laughs) as the problem. But
4: it actually, your cell phone is made of atoms that do interact at the quantum level.
3: (laughs) That is true. What we're talking about here specifically is the way that a camera, a digital camera, captures light, right? We're talking, it has sensors, and the sensor's Uh, end up corresponding to pixels. Those would be the individual little dots that make up your, your image. And photons will collide with that sensor, and then the sensor generates the electrons necessary for this to be translated into an image that ultimately will be displayed back into photons so that your eyeballs can see it. But meanwhile, you have this electron phase. And the interesting thing is that photon emission is one of these random things. We, we have a probabilistic model where we can say what the average is of any given moment of, uh, photons being emitted. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that at specific instances, that number varies. So there is some randomness there. It's not, it, you know, we just have the average. We don't necessarily know at any given time how many photons are being emitted within the, the view of a camera, for example, except that a camera has to translate those photons into electrons. So if we take the average of what we would expect any given pixel in a photo to generate. So let's say, you know, I, again, I'm going to use a ridiculous example and this is truly ridiculous. Let's say, all right, we expect this pixel will capture uh, 10 photons and create 10 electrons. This is, totally wrong, by the way, just to give the example. <laughs> but but instead, it generated nine electrons. Well, then you know that the actual number of photons was less than what the average was, and that number, the difference there, becomes your random number, okay? And that's for one pixel. Now, the camera they used was an eight-megapixel camera, so it had many, many more than just one pixel, right? Millions of pixels. And so that means that the all of these different sensors are working in parallel together. So you take all of the differences of all of those pixels based upon, you know, what what actually hit it versus the average that you expected and then then you have your random number. And it's all just from a cell phone. So you could literally have an app on your cell phone that would be able to turn an image captured on the camera into a random number and you would have access to a quantum random number generator from your cell phone.
4: That's pretty awesome.
3: It's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Because again, this is the sort of stuff like the quantum number generators were the sort of things you would only find in labs, not something that your average person could have access to. So. If you have a real need (laughs) to generate random numbers for some reason. You want to open an online casino, you know. Yeah. I mean there could be any number of reasons why a person might really have need of this. I mean maybe you're a web administrator and you need to have this to generate unique IDs. And you thought this is a great way to generate those seeds that I will feed into my pseudo random number generator in order to create those unique IDs. It's a great solution. Right. It's something that you don't have to worry about an attacker anticipating what the next number is going to be because it's impossible. It's quantum. As Terry Pratchett would have said, <laughs> <laughs> it's quantum. Uh, so, yeah, this was you know, this is always a fun thing to talk about. I love talking about random numbers and the difficulty of generating them and whether or not they even exist. Uh, I tend to kind of get frustrated with philosophical discussions. But for some reason, this one in particular really appeals to me.
1: Well, it's also mathematical, which helps.
3: Yeah. And I just think you're in a good mood today. <laughs> well, I did a Mexican food and pie. <laughs> so that helps. Well, thank you so much for the email, Sean. We yes. really liked uh, this topic. Yeah. And in fact, if any of you out there would like to follow in Sean's footsteps and send us a message, maybe you've got something else you want us to cover. There's some sort of future topic you think is really interesting let us know. Send us an email. That address is fwthinkingathowstuffworks.com. Or you can always drop us a note on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. At Twitter and Google+, Plus, we are FWThinking. Just search FWThinking in Facebook. We'll pop right up. Leave us a message, and we'll talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
2: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride, with some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed a hundred thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits. LED headlights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip.